Hey there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. A letter to a bunch of people in the city of Philippi. The Apostle Paul says this. Do you know what? Let's read it together, shall we? Have this mind among yourselves. Come on, church. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. If it's your first time in church today, you've just helped us to read some scripture, some, some verses from the Word of God, some verses that were written uh, uh, and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to inspire us today. What is, what is this piece of scripture about? It's basically this. It's, it's a piece of beautiful theology. In other words, knowledge of God. And what this scripture, the Apostle Paul is encouraging his mates in the city of Philippi. He's saying, listen, your genuine spiritual progress should follow the same line as the progress of Jesus. Did you hear me today, church? Genuine spiritual progress is not found in selfish ambition or scrambling for supreme self-recognition. But genuine spiritual progress is found when we empty ourselves, allow the Spirit of God to fill us up, and in deep love for God and deep love for people, we serve others. That's beautiful, isn't it? This piece of Scripture is the center of a brainstorm called the four chapters of the letter to the Philippians. Let's flick up the next screen. Let's see what we've learned from the book of Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 2 so far. If you, were, if you were here and you recognize these points, just give a uh-huh or a mm-hmm, yeah, I, re- I remember that. Oh, here we go. So the first thing we learn is this, that true leadership comes out of service. Anybody? We found that God won't give up on us. Is that good or what? How many home DIY, pro- DIY projects have you started and they're still waiting to be finished 10 years later? In our house that we are about to sell, I have only just replaced doorknobs that fell off about 10 years ago. It's crazy. But the Word of God says that He, Jesus, who began a good work in us, is what? Faithful to... You know, if God starts something in you, He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to finish the work He's begun. Is that good news? We find that loving Jesus more and more is what helps us discern what is pure. As we begin to love Jesus more, come closer to who Jesus is, we end up making great, godly, wise decisions. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. Anyone remember that? 
When the good times roll, be like Jesus. No. Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. We found from chapter 1 that opposition in our lives often becomes opportunity for the gospel to abound in us and to others. Have you ever been through a bad time and then fast forward a few years and you can look back and you can see how God led you through? But not just led you through, but inspired other people because of your example. Very often, obstacles in our lives become opportunities for the gospel to abound. And then chapter 2 last week, we found that if you want to be the real deal kind of a Christian, it's going to take humility and unity. Humility and uh, integrity, beg your pardon. We found that if we want to shine bright in our generation, all we've got to do is hold fast to who? Jesus. Why? Why does that make sense? He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. Do you know the Bible says that God's clothes are light? Did you know that? So no wonder if we're holding fast to the clothing of God, to the character of, of Jesus, his son, no wonder the scriptures say we can shine bright in our generation. Are you excited about that? Does your generation need some light? Hello? I don't care how old you are. Every generation needs the light of God, right? And then lastly, we looked at this last week, honor each other. Honor each other. That doesn't mean we blow smoke. That means we, we realize the gift of God in people's lives and we champion the work of God in each other. Is that good? I can remember the very night that, I think you were 15 when you got saved, Matt. I remember the night that Matt gave his heart to Jesus, probably a little bit longer after most of his mates did. And, um, and he was working out for a long time. But I remember 15-year-old Matt, 13-year-old Pete in a youth meeting. I, I, I can see the work of God in this man's life. Anybody else? Started as a 15-year-old. And all these years later, I honor our chair of trustees, Matthew Wildsmith. Right? We, could, we could go around and honor each person in this room this afternoon. And we ought to. Not to blow smoke that is undeserving but to honor and champion what God is doing in our lives. Let's, let's honor one another, shall we, church? You with me? So, possible title for chapter 3 of Philippians is this. Watch out, because there's nothing worth more than following Jesus. Watch out, there's nothing worth more. I'm glad you've got that on the screen there, Rich. That's perfect timing. Listen, church, in order to get the most out of the third little bitty chapter of this letter to the church in Philippi, we need to understand, can we go, can we go back to Paul? Go back to his face, there he is. We need to understand his life a little bit more. Have you ever been misunderstood? Hello? Ever? Look at you all laughing. <laughs> yeah, got that t-shirt. Have you ever been misunderstood? We've all got a story, have we not? My story is different to your story. Some stories are horrifically different to my story. Some stories are beautifully different to my We all have a story. Amen? And sometimes we say things, and when we say certain things, people don't know the journey we've been on to come to the point of saying those things. Does that make sense? Now, caveat, doesn't mean you're always right. But it does mean that we should understand the context of somebody's life. Is that good? Now, we could really, really get upset with the Apostle Paul today unless we appreciate that he has a story. Is that okay? 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to just do a little biography for a few minutes. Is that okay? Is anyone loving that? I had some good feedback a few weeks ago. Pete, I love the history lesson. I was like, yes, that's what I got qualified in. should do it more often. So there's a bit more for you. You ready? So the Apostle Paul was not born Paul. Do any of you cheeky little Sunday school generation people know what Paul was called before Paul? Saul. He was. He was known as Saul. He was called Saul. He was born in around 6 AD, maybe six or seven years after Jesus. Now, his parents were Jewish, okay? Paul's family were from the Israelite tribe of Benjamin. The nation of Israel split into 12 tribes, and the Apostle Paul's family descended from the tribe of Benjamin. One of uh, uh, the tribe of Benjamin's most famous sons is the Old Testament first king of Israel, Saul. It seems to me that these proud Jewish parents were excited about their baby boy and they wanted to call him after the first ever king of Israel. They called baby Paul. He was actually called Saul. Did you like that already? (laughs) So Paul, he's not born and raised in Jerusalem or anywhere else in Israel. He is born and raised in a city called Tarsus. Tarsus uh, has another name today, but it is in modern day, never reach shredded wheat, Western Turkey. Tarsus was in western Turkey. And what you've got to understand about this home city of Paul is it was not a shrinking little city where not much was going on. It was home to 500,000 people. Now, that's a big city by today's standards. But in Paul's day, that was an enormous city. The city of Rome was only ever around about a million people 2,000 years ago. And here is Paul's home city, half a million people. That's amazing, isn't it? The reason it was half a million people was because uh, it, it, was, it was prosperous, another prosperous city like Philippi. So when Paul's writing to the Philippians, he knows what it's like to grow up in that kind of city. You see, Paul, because he was born in, in Tarsus, that was ruled by the Romans, it meant that he also had a Roman citizenship. You know your British passport can get you into a lot of places without a lot of trouble, (laughs) maybe not for much longer. Well, if you were a Roman city, it got you into places. But Paul and his family, they were Jews. And so his parents would have had to buy their citizenship. And it would have cost about 18 months wages. Can you imagine that? What's your yearly wage? Half it, plus that onto your year. That's how much it would have cost for you to buy the privileges of the society you lived in. Wow. So Paul's mom and dad, they scrimp and scrape, and they, 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 they buy citizenship for their, for their family. This citizenship, it, it, it comes with all sorts of rights and privileges. You don't have to pay certain taxes. You can go anywhere in the, in the empire. Uh, if you're accused falsely, you can take your court case all the way up to the Roman emperor. You get some pretty cool rights and privileges. This was his early life. You see, Tarsus was a melting pot of cultures, religion, and philosophy. Now, you see, the Apostle Paul, he would have grown up in the Jewish quarter of the city. He would have lived there. He'd probably been educated there. But when he went out to the world of work, he would likely have been mixing it up with everybody else from every other culture, every other philosophy. This Jewish lad out there in a Gentile world. Amazing stuff, hey? You see, Paul would have been exposed to the big society ideas of his day. He's rooted in his Judaism, and yet he is a man 
very much of his world. Paul had a skilled trade. Anyone know what Paul's trade was to make a bit of money on the side? He was a tent maker. It was one of the main trades of that city. It's famous for making tents out of goat hair. Mm, nice tent. A little sweaty, I imagine. So Paul had come from decent money. From his teenage years, Paul, at the age of 13, he gets sent to Jerusalem. And he gets sent to Jerusalem because he's well-educated from a little bit of money guy called Saul. His mom and dad are able to send him to Jerusalem and study with a famous rabbi. And this rabbi is, is one of the most famous Jewish rabbis in the history of Judaism. His name was Gamaliel. Whoa, that's a good name, isn't it? Gamaliel, Gamaliel was the most celebrated rabbi teacher of his day. Now, to be selected to follow any rabbi was special, but you had to be really special to follow Gamaliel. Is that cool? So we've got this Jewish lad, man of the world, incredibly, incredibly well-educated, and now being educated by one of the highest religious authorities of his day. You see, now Gamaliel was a Pharisee. He was quite a fair Pharisee, to be fair. There's a couple of groups of Pharisees, and Gamaliel was on the fairer side. <laughs> Paul was a particularly observant student of Pharisee law. The Pharisees were people in charge of dishing out the religious rules and regulations and keeping an eye on you and your house that you were keeping up your Jewish tradition. Paul is growing up in this atmosphere. The Pharisees' main focus in life was making sure that they pleased God, now listen to this, by earning his favor. They wouldn't have called it that. But their religious following of the law was an attempt to earn the favor and the love and the grace and the promises of God. They do it by following the laws of the Torah. That's the first five books of, of our Old Testament. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 22, verse 3. It's not on the screen. but This is Paul's own story about he, how his life was going. He said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. And I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul hasn't just made it out of Tarsus. He's not just made it out of the philosophical, cultural melting pot of his day. He's gone all the way to Jerusalem. He's studying with the, one of the greatest rabbis ever. And not just that, he is outschooling most of his contemporaries. And he's becoming extremely zealous, incredibly passionate about the teachings of his forefathers. Fantastic, interesting situation. Everyone's got a story, right? You enjoying Paul's, Paul's story? Paul was absolutely, passionately sure that you and I could only gain God's favor, love, and approval by earning it. To do this, you had to live out perfectly all 613 of the Jewish Lord's, uh, laws in every single moment of every single day. And if you didn't, it was going to cost you. You were going to have to sacrifice an animal at your own expense to forgive you of your sin. What chance had anyone got? Most of the world is non-Jewish. So what chance had the non-Jewish world got if they couldn't follow the law of the Jewish traditions? And Paul is teaching and he's zealous and passionate for, if you don't follow these laws, you cannot know God. He's a passionate young man. What were you like in your youth? 
And although I was like in my late teens and early 20s, you would not have liked me very much. You might not now. You definitely wouldn't then. You know, sometimes we're very passionate in our youth and our angst. I remember growing up in church and thinking, if I ever run this place, I'll know what I'd do better here. <laughs> Maybe you were the same. Maybe you're in this church thinking that right now. <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> Paul was utterly convinced that your level of rightness with God depended on your personal religious performance. Your relationship with God could only be justified if you lived a perfect life according to the rules set out in Torah and the religious man-made traditions that have been passed on through word of mouth. If you said otherwise, you were a blasphemer and a traitor to God, and any other teaching needed to be quickly stamped out. The law was written, church, to inspire mankind's actual need for God's help in order to live holy lives. Instead, the Pharisees were treating the law like a self-help instruction manual that you should use to try and convince God that you are worthy of a relationship with him. So here's Paul's background. We've all got a story. Paul's a very harsh teacher. He was a very harsh, angsty young man who did not yet know Jesus. So he's got it all. He's got money, status, prestige. He's got the best schooling. He's a Roman citizen. He lives amongst the rich and the famous in a dynamic city culture. He's smart and clever, respected. He's even feared. He's been mentored by one of Israel's greatest ever rabbis. His fierce love for his understanding of God and his uh, understanding of his people and culture meant that Paul was not only a phenomenal student, but an extremist, hardline defender of certain laws and traditions. Sounds like we're going to get into hot water with Paul, right? Paul was so passionate that he amounted to vicious and violent persecution of Christians. What, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament? Yeah, that guy. He was even present at the execution of a lovely bloke called Stephen. Paul held the coats of the crowd that stoned this Christian man to death. So Paul was well known, you know, by local government in Jerusalem. And, and the Pharisees were very excited about this zealous young man who was willing to go to violent extremes to put down the Jesus movement, the Jesus following ideals that we hold to. And this one day, Paul gets permission to go to a city called Damascus, which is further north than Jerusalem. And on the road to Damascus, hello, on the road to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven shines and instantly blinds Paul. Paul's scrambling around on his hands and his knees. And he's like, who, who is this? And, and a voice from heaven says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, in his blindness, he's saying, who are you, Lord? And he said, it is I, Jesus. Wow. Wow. From that moment on, from that moment of encounter with Jesus, Paul had a before I met Jesus life. And there we had a since I met Jesus life. Anyone else in the room today? You see, Jesus, for the next three years, by his Holy Spirit and with the, with the help of disciples in various places, Jesus taught Paul that perfection would have to be given to us by God. And what is this perfection? Jesus, our Savior, given to us. It's our receiving of Jesus that makes us right with God. 
Could you imagine how different that would have been to what Paul knew to be true? It's my own efforts keeping laws and traditions that make me right with God. And here Jesus is saying, it's not the laws and traditions, it's me. It's the presence of my son, Jesus. Jesus taught that justification of our relationship with God could not be based on anything we could do, but would have to be based on what God is willing to do for us. Just touch your neighbor and uh, wake them up a little bit and say, keep going, man. This is, stay with it. This is good stuff, I promise. This is what Jesus revealed to Paul. He's gone from being called Saul. He's been given a new name, Paul. Instead of making countless sacrifices that would act as a stopgap before inevitably messing up again, there would need to be an ultimate perfect sacrifice that covers the sin in all of us of all time. That sacrifice is the death of Jesus. And so let's get that brain on the screen. This was the big idea that flipped in Paul's head when Jesus told him how it really, really was and ought to be. Salvation is not earned, it's freely given. Is that good news? Can you afford salvation? No. It's a good job, it's freely given. Salvation is not achieved by us working our little religious socks off. Salvation is the free gift of God. Our best efforts to live all truth at all times will never bring us to the grace of God. It's the gift of God's grace to us that leads us in paths of righteousness. Is that good? Wow. This is the big idea. You see, when Paul realized this, it rocked his entire world and it rocks our world to this very moment. This truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, did you achieve your salvation by living perfect lives? Did you? No. You came to a point where you met Jesus by his Holy Spirit, encountered him in a time of worship or reading the Bible or the kindness of a Christian and you witnessed the power of Jesus. Wow. You've been given salvation through faith, not by works. This is the gospel. We have got to get this right, church, because there are so many places out there that claim to follow Jesus but get the gospel wrong. The gospel is not do this to please God and he might let you into a relationship with him. The gospel is God loves you, put your faith in him, and now you are saved. Let's walk differently. Come on. Perfection is a person called Jesus. And your acceptance of Jesus, my acceptance of Jesus, is God's acceptance of you. Is that good? So Paul's encounter with Jesus completely turned things upside down for him. Isn't it true, church, that meeting Jesus and putting our faith in him changes everything? There was a time before we knew Jesus, then we encountered him, and now everything's different. We might try and walk the same sometimes, but we know there's a better way. Meeting Jesus and putting our faith in him changes our hearts. Meeting Jesus and putting our faith in him renews our minds. Meeting Jesus and putting our faith in him makes us brand new. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. But what about when I slip into my old habits? What about when I mess up? What about when I do things that don't please God? Ask his forgiveness and go again. Dust yourself off and try again. <laughs> wow. That's the song, Dave. <laughs> so having met Jesus, 
And having been mentored by the Holy Spirit and by disciples for three years, Paul starts to preach and teach throughout the known world. And as you know, because we've been looking at this for the last few weeks, men, women, and children all across the known world at that time start to become Christians, putting their faith in Jesus. Unfortunately, there's a bunch of crazy Christians following Paul about. Anyone know any crazy Christians? If you don't, you're the crazy Christian. There's a bunch of crazy Christians following Paul around. It's cr- it is crazy. Because these Christians, after Paul had left and established the new church, these crazy Christians would come after Paul and they would tell the people that had just become Christians to be a real Christian. It's not quite what Paul said, actually. You've got to become Jewish. You've got to follow all the customs and traditions of our forefathers, and only then can you truly be Christian. Paul only told you a bit of the story. No! That is not the story! These crazy Christians are telling men, women, and children that to be a real Christian, you've got to do what has been done for thousands of years that had never brought salvation to planet Earth. Men, cover your ears, cross your legs. They were even encouraging the fellas to get circumcised. No matter how old you were, there's a quiet hush in the room. And Paul is like, no, no. That is not what Christ died for. He died for freedom. So this crazy, same of, uh, this crazy group of Christians turn up in Philippi like they had in other places. And that's where we start this chapter 3. Let's get it up. And one more. Further, my brothers and sisters, says Paul to his mates in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. It's, uh, it's no trouble of me, uh, for me to write these things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. So Paul's banging on about this. In most of his letters, you'll find Paul is warning the church, be careful what you're told. Be careful what people try and make you believe. And then he says this, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. All right, Paul, chill out, mate. Flipping it. Now, this is particularly insulting because in those days, uh, people who followed Judaism would call non-Jews dogs. So Paul is throwing it back at these people going, don't you follow those dogs, those evildoers. You don't have to make marks on your body. You don't have to follow certain laws. You're not of that culture or ethnicity. It's okay. Jesus is how you are saved. He said, it is we that are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put the confidence in the flesh, I have more reasons. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to all the laws in the Old Testament, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, man, I even killed Christians for righteousness based on the law. I was faultless, mate. You want a poster boy for what it looks like to go back to old ways of thinking? I was that old way of thinking. Faultless I was, he says. Faultless. Don't go listening to these wannabes. He's like saying, guys, I knew all this stuff. Everything they're telling you, I knew all that, and I thought that was right. But there is nothing in the scriptures that says non-Jewish people have to become Jewish to become Christians. Now, can I just pause for a second? 
All this talk about not having to become Jewish, not is it? Cultures that have gone by, far-right cultures, have used this kind of language to make people and nations anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. I want to say and put it on record today, we are not anti-Jewish. Do you hear me tonight? God set apart the Israelite nation for a special purpose. And there are different ideas as to what God wants to do with the people of Israel. And I'm not going to debate them with you now because it will bore you and spoil your joy. But what I do believe is this, that God has a very special plan for Christians and Jews. We have the same Father God that we serve, right? And so just, you just watch. You keep your eyes on the news and watch how the Lord um, moves in our lives as Christians and moves in the, in the state of Israel. But what's important for us, whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, is to become a Christian means to come to faith in Jesus. What Paul's saying is, the marks you make on your body, the things you do with your flesh, do not make you any more of a a favorable person to God. The marks created by human hands are nothing compared to the mark that the Holy Spirit makes on our hearts. What marks us out as righteous is our hearts being marked, covered, and transformed by the Spirit of God. It carries on in verse 7. Next screen. But whatever were gains to me, do you remember Paul had a lot to boast about? Do you remember his background? Smart, educated, had it all going on. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider nothing for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything that I once had, loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all of the things that made me who I thought I was meant to be, I consider them rubbish, I consider them garbage, so that I may gain Christ. What if our pasts, what if our own pomp and arrogant thoughts of ourselves are actually the rubbish that stop us meeting God? Isn't it worth chucking away the rubbish to walk into a relationship with him? Anybody? He says this, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of what? Faith. He's saying, you know, before, my hope in life was based on what I knew. And the things I could do in my own strength. But my greatest strength is embarrassingly weak compared to the strength of God. I am saved by faith, not by works. And Springs Church, the same goes for you. See, here's a curious thing. Why is it that we get so involved doing lots of wonderful things for God? We don't do stuff for God to to earn his approval. He has given us his son And out of thankfulness, we serve him and others. Do you see? Verse 10, next screen, Paul says this. And I I pray this is what all of our hearts are saying this afternoon. I want to know, next screen, is it verse 10, is it? It's all in there, is it? Thanks, sorry. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and participation in his sufferings, becoming more like him in his death. 
and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained all of this, you understand. I've not already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of all these things, but one thing I do, forgetting now what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to know Christ. What are you saying this afternoon? What are you saying this afternoon? I want to go to church. Mm, it's nice. I want to do loads of good things in the I want to be a good person in life. I, or are you saying, I want to know Christ? What I built my life on before I knew Jesus was sinking sand. I want to kick on in life knowing Christ. Jesus is the way. Jesus is our motive. And Jesus was Paul's goal. And Jesus is our goal. He's our goal. He's our aim. Let's realign that truth. Finishing off chapter 3. Coming into land. Band, would you come up? The words of that song, Champion, perfectly articulate what we're talking about this afternoon. From verse 15, it says this. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, do you remember Paul was a citizen of Rome? Do you remember that? Highly esteemed in his own faith community. He's saying, forget that. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where I come from now. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they, they will be like his glorious body. Wow. Would you say that it's true that our backgrounds shape our opinions? Hello? Do our backgrounds share, uh, shape our opinions? Can I be really cutting? Does sometimes our arrogance shape our thinking? Does hard-heartedness stop us from moving forward in faith? Does it? Hello? Our backgrounds, where we come from, can certainly shape our opinions about God and the world. If you're into your psychology, things that even happen to us as young children can be unhelpful or very helpful in the way that we see God and see the world. I am thankful that Jesus says, come to me with the faith of a child. It's almost like the Lord wants to rewire 
us, when we come to faith in him, to move beyond the things that have made us captive, to move beyond the things that have hurt us, mind, body, and soul. When we encounter Jesus in a moment of faith and ask him into our lives, a new day begins. And I don't care if you've never become a Christian or you've been a Christian for decades. In this moment, we can say in our hearts, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. What learning, what tradition, what worldview is a barrier to you throwing yourself fully into following Jesus? I want to encourage you that Paul never lost his personality. He was a zealous lad back in the day. And he was certainly a zealous lad after he'd met Jesus. Paul was a man. Now listen to this. It's a bit of alliteration. I'm really proud of it. You ready? Paul was a man of misdirected passion. But he became a man of Messiah-directed passion. Misdirected passion brings division. Misdirected passion misses the point, points the finger, and persecutes. But Messiah-directed passion brings healing to families, to neighborhoods, and to the world. I'm not going to make comments about news from over the water. But I want to encourage this church today that Messiah-directed passion can bring healing. And we have to be prepared to be the hands and feet of Jesus, correct? If you don't remember anything else today, it is this. You do not earn God's favor. You couldn't afford it even if you tried. He loves you. He's made himself available to you. And your acceptance of Jesus into your life is God's acceptance of us. Is that good news? I just know that there are people in this place today that are saying, Jesus, take me as I am. Renew me. Forgive me of my sin. Remove all of the garbage and the, of the past. And from this moment, lead me in a new way of life, knowing you at the center of my being. If that's you today, would you just say in your heart, I want to know you, Jesus. Come into my life. You've been a Christian for many, many years. And like me, if you're honest, you know there have been times where your passion has been misdirected and has caused division. But your heart is craving Messiah-directed passion. If that's you, stand to your feet today and just start to worship Him and say, Lord, I want to be Messiah-directed. I want to follow you, Jesus. Don't be shy about it. Don't wait for your husband or wife to make the decision for you to stand. If you are saying, Lord, today I want to be Messiah directed. Just open your heart to him now.
Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. I'm going to quit striving and enjoy your Holy Spirit propelling me forward. You're saying today for the first time, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you in my life. You too, stand to your feet. Come on. Bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Say what you need to say to God right now. Thank him how you want to thank him. Oh, I want to be here in your will and purpose, Lord. Father, give us that moment of encounter right now, Jesus. Your word is too good for us, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. you've got a sense that you want to do something more with your body right now and you just want to you want to lift your hands lift your hands like no one else is watching just reach out to your father if you want to kneel anywhere in this place today kneel in reverence and thanks and all hallelujah bless your holy name jesus thank you father Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.